Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Selecki. And I'm PJ Doran. And this week we have Jason Raines. Pit Pass Moto is sponsored by Moto America. Moto America, the home of AMA Superbike Championship featuring 190 mile an hour superbikes. It is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. Follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can catch all of every weekend of racing's action on Moto America Live Plus online app where you can watch practice, qualifying, every single race, warm-ups, all of it live. I watched it on my phone. I watched it on my laptop. I watched it on my big TV in my garage. It's the place to go for live race day action. And, of course, they're on all kinds of channels, FS2, Mav TV, Fox Sports, NBC, SN. There's so many ways that you can uh, watch the action. Get to MotoAmerica.com. You can find out exactly when and where you can catch broadcasts if you're unable to get out to one of the many events that are held all around the country upcoming. We've got round six with fans at New Jersey Motorsport Park. That's September 11 through 13. And then round seven at Barber Motorsports outside of Birmingham, Alabama, September 18 through 20. Tickets and info for both are at MotoAmerica.com. Get out there and check out some racing. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is, the first GNCC race began in 1975 and was called the Blackwater 100. Why was it given that name? We'll talk about that later on in the show. Coming up on Pit Pass, our guest, Jason Raines, former GNCC champion and owner of the Raines Riding University. You really have to check it out. Jason, welcome to the show, and how are things going for you, man? Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, everything's, uh, you know, going good, and uh, we're just out here at the track right now, matter of fact, uh, doing some doing some riding with the Ampro Yamaha squad and uh, beautiful weather and uh, just enjoying uh, enjoying the summertime. Where's your school at? Where's your school at, Jason? So we do most of our, like, our, most of the riding schools. We've actually moved it to where everything is here at our facility we have in uh, Travel Dress, South Carolina. I don't do the classes as much as I, you know, did before. My wife does pretty much all the riding schools now, and my main 
job is, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the Yamaha demo program, traveling around to different tracks, trails, you know, working with local dealers and uh, letting people essentially, uh, the demo ride is just people testing, uh, you know, testing the product out, riding the bikes. So that's kind of my main thing. It's kind of, it's transferred over, you know, the last few years to be, at first we were doing, you know, a handful of demos, but the majority was still schools traveling around, you know, all over the country doing the riding schools. And, you know, once Yamaha and saw the traction of the demos, you know, they saw the, you know, what we call the conversion rate or the sales, you know, then it just got bigger and more. And, and now there's, you know, multiple trucks and I just travel, you know, all over the U.S. Just, you know, do That's my main thing now. It's just uh, keeping and I'm kind of a one man show. So that's that's where, you know, my typical week is, uh, you know, home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fly out Friday. Demo is uh, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday is perhaps wash. You know, there's 12, 12 dirt bikes to keep up on. Well, there's my answer. My next question was, how many air filters a week are you cleaning? Oh, man, it's uh, air filter. You know, it's, our events are open to everybody. It's not an invitation-only type program. It's uh, one thing we've learned with the motorcycles that's real, real nice is, you know, if you go to a popular place that everybody rides at, you know, you already have your captive audience. So we... We do a good bit of marketing, but at the end of the day, most of the people just happen to be at the track that we were out that weekend. We do a lot of, you know, a lot of maintenance. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, and I don't get to ride at the events. You know, I'm just managing, you know, the, the sign-up process and make sure the bikes are full of gas and somebody comes in, crashed it, and again, got to piece it back together and get it ready for the next guy. And it's really gotten to the point where it's, uh, it gets, I mean, we'll get... I mean, last year alone, we did a total of through, you know, all year we did, uh, you know, r- roughly a little over 12,000 demo rides last year. We get a pretty good crowd and, and, uh, you know, with, uh, with kids, we, we, like I said, we cater to anybody, you know, kids, first timers, they show up, we'll teach them how to ride, gear them up with the fly racing gear and teach them how to ride the first time. And, uh, to, you know, to the adults, to the Weekend warriors to the pro racers, you know, there's uh, pretty much anybody and everybody shows up to test ride the bikes and see which one they'd, you know, prefer to have next. Well, I've seen your program in action, Jason. I, I There's nobody that works harder than you do on a weekend with all those bikes and keeping everybody on two wheels and rolling. But uh, I'm curious this year with COVID, it's really thrown a curveball at the sport and for you specifically because you go to events to get people involved and has that changed at all this year for you guys? First part of the year, I was out in Southern California. And then uh, when March came around and, you know, we got the call that, you know, everything was, you know, basically up in, up in the air. Yamaha called me and said, hey, we need to shut her down. You know, we need to shut the demos down and, and uh, you know, wait, wait this thing out. And our first initial, initial thought was, uh, you know, their projection was we could start back in, uh, you know, in, in the middle of, middle of the end of April. You know, well, that got drug on to May and then June, and and we didn't do our first event post COVID till middle of July. But now we're right back in the, you know, right back in the thick of it. I mean, there's been some hiccups, I'll say, you know, throughout this process, you know, with events, you know, quote unquote events, you know, in certain counties and jurisdictions, we've had, we've had, uh, I mean, we've, you know, between between us, I mean, we've just flown under the radar. Really, we we, uh, you know, we we go to the you know, we go to the facility and we do do what we do. And we just uh, sometimes in a couple of situations, the dealers got a little bit scared that we, you know, couldn't do the mass marketing that we should have, you know, to draw more attention to us. 
you know, because unfortunately, you know, even though I'm just showing up as a, you know, basically a single entity with some dirt bikes, you know, if we call it a quote unquote event, that changes it in the eyes of a lot of people. Sure, that makes sense. That puts you higher on the radar. And and it's interesting to talking to dealerships and people in the industry, this COVID situation, which is awful in its entirety, but somehow power sports and motorcycles and other leisure type sports have benefited financially from COVID happening. I mean, we're seeing dealerships just sell more. Yeah, more kids' bikes. And are you feeling some of that and seeing some of that? New new people coming out and trying bikes and things like that? Absolutely. And that's that's been our, I mean, in the last, you know, I've been doing the demos, you know, this will be uh, 2020 was 10 years. And, and that's been our biggest initiative the entire time is how do we get, not like my daughter where, you know, where she grew up around dirt bikes. So her natural progression was to ride dirt bikes. How do we get the people that have never ridden a bike? The parents don't ride, their uncle doesn't ride. How do we get those kids on motorcycles? And that's been a, you know, a huge, uh, huge initiative for, I feel the whole industry for a number of years. And then all of a sudden silver lining and, and all this mess. I know when we went into it, Yamaha, you know, some of the, the executives were saying that they were, you know, real worried. This is, this is going to put us back in, you know, the, the 08, 09 timeframe when the economy went downhill, but uh, coming out on the backside, it's been the silver lining. Like you said, now manufacturers can't, produce stuff, get them in dealers fast enough. You know, every, every segment, whether it be dirt street, side-by-side ATV watercraft, it's blown out of proportion. Parts are back ordered, you know, dealers, you walk into a dealership and it looks like they're going out of business because they got nothing on the floor. <laughs> Strangely. So it's uh it's really sparked things. And I, I've been out to local events and I see more new faces than I've ever seen. in in exactly like you said, in 10, 15 years, 2006, I think was the, was the last peak and then uh, it went down from there but i see more new faces people riding bikes that didn't before and because for the kids all of the standard sports are canceled now there's no football there's no basketball no soccer and the families are sticking closer together and doing this instead if it's not motorcycles maybe it's i don't know kayaking or fishing or camping but i think it's a good thing for the sport yeah, I think it's great for, uh, you know, for our sport, for kids in general, get outside. You know, we've we've seen the, the you know, the video game thing kind of go, you know, I, I've seen personal friends, same way. Kids never wanted nothing to do with much outside activity. And once this happened, they're like, you know, they got rid of the video games. They've got scooters and skateboards and bicycles. And it's just odd that it happened the way that it did, you know. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I, like I say, it's it's good for the sport, and I think it's it's good for the future of the sport more than anything because we were all standing around, I think, a year ago, going, "What's next? Where's this going to go?" Because bike sales were all going down, the off-road markets seemed like they were dying, and uh, to see this resurgence because of what happened, and it's unfortunate what happened, but like you said, a silver lining is we could see a bump in participation and just motorcycling in general. It doesn't have to be dirt bikes. It can be just everything all around. And I welcome it because I love to see power sports grow and, and be strong and and kids be doing that rather than sitting behind a console with exercising their thumbs on the weekend. Well, like you said, that's our, that's, we, you know, that's our industry. I mean, we've been in, you know, in, in this industry for a long time and, and, you know, fought, you know, fought for it, you know, fought for every, 
everything we could get there for a while. Now it's like all of a sudden without us even trying, and that's when it's blown out of proportion. It's been amazing at our dealership, Jason, where I know you've been. It's amazing what we are selling out of. As you pointed out, it it really does breed a sense of hope, I believe, about there's going to be at least one more generation of truly diehard racers or riders, uh, I guess is what we're really looking for, which is what we've talked about in the past. But it sure seems like if we've sold every one of these things that we can get our hands on, there are people that want them and they're going to, the kid in the neighborhood who has one is now the cool kid again. There was a time when I was a kid that if you knew a kid with a motorbike before you had one, you became friends with that kid. That was the kid you had to know. And I think that's hopefully going to happen again. Right. Yeah, I think we're, you know, I, I've, you know, talked to quite a few dealers and some think that, you know, this is going to be a, a, a blip in the radar, you know, up and then back down. But then there's other folks that think that it'll be more of a, a, a rounded hill, so to speak, where it's, you know, we're going, we're going up, you know, but it's not going to just all of a sudden die. And that's what Yamaha, even, even the president of YM, you know, Yamaha, Japan, he sent me a message and said, you know, we have a lot of youth kids getting in this sport. We need to carry that, you know, get them, give them the right training and the, the, the proper guidance, you know, to keep them, you know, in the sport, you know, so and that, and that, that, that's the stuff that we'll see for, for years to come is, is keeping the people that we, that we brought into the sport. Well, and motorcycles are, as we all know here on the show, any of us talking and our listeners, they're the greatest toy ever invented. All you got to do is let a kid ride one and it, there's no further conversation required. So having more of them out in the world can only serve to do that job better. You know, again, I use the analogy of the kid in the neighborhood who had one, every kid in the neighborhood who could stomach <laughs> that guy got a chance to ride it and you probably had to do some favors but then every kid who wrote it was like instantly determined to get one of their own that's the driving sales down the line of what that we all hope continue so uh jason in your spare time being a former gncc champion now you're grooming uh preston to be the next winner in gncc racing uh what's it like to be a father slash coach in that realm you know, I say during this this COVID thing, I mean, it's been the best thing, you know, for me that could have ever happened. I'm able to ride and, and train with her and stuff during the week, but for small periods, you know, I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. And, you know, this year I started the year, we, we went through kind of a, you know, she moved up to the big bike this year and, uh, you know, she really wanted to get, get stronger. So me and her worked out, you know, strength training all winter. And then, you know, the beginning of part of the year, I'm like, well, you know, I'll, I planned on racing, you know, a handful of races this year. And then once COVID hit, you know, we had no demos going on. I wasn't traveling, you know, so essentially I was here for five months. I mean, we rode, trained, bicycle, you know, we have a, an excellent group of like-minded people, you know, myself, Mike Witowski, Rachel Archer, and uh, Preston are the normal group that, you know, we meet up in the morning, we go cycle and, and then we, uh, you know, we come out and, and we, we do, do our motos. And I think for, for me, that's the best thing for Preston. I don't, if she asks a question, I'll, I think the best thing is lead by example. I've always, my dad was kind of like that. And, and, you know, as far as like, for me, I mean, it's all about having fun. I tell her all the time I could care, you know, less if she weight races or wins or anything, you know, the point of the sport is to have, is to have fun. And, and for, for us, we have a good group. So she sees, you know, for her training with Rachel Archer, you know, she's one of the top women pro riders in GNCC. So, 
Preston, that's where she wants to go. So she, you know, learns from Rachel and, you know, rides cycles and, and, and I think she learns from watching, you know, she doesn't ask a lot of questions, but she's progressed this year, especially she's, she's progressed a lot. I put a lot of that into the fact that, you know, I, I was home and, and, you know, we were able to, you know, put, spend a lot of time together and it's just fun. I mean, I, I always say this to parents that are getting into it, you know, this is one of the sports that I truly believe that, you know, it connects you to your family for your whole life because, you know, a lot of kids, when they turn 18, they go to school, they get a job, they move away, they do their own life and you see them at family get togethers and things like that. But with, uh, with dirt biking, you know, it's so, you know, everybody has to work so hard to, to make the, you know, make the wheel go round between bike maintenance and traveling and, and, and all those things, you know, yeah, it's a, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, but at the same time, you know, it's a lot of great memories that are, that are had from doing it. Yeah. And I hope she recognizes that maybe not now, but you know, later on in life, she looks back and, and realizes what it really means. And I couldn't agree with what you said, your analogy that, it's more a family sport, and it keeps people together, keeps families together, because that's what you do. It's a lifestyle. Well, it's got to be fun, and that's where you know she wants to, you know, she wants to make a career out of it, and and that's that's great, and and I love her ambition, you know. But I know my wife and I, you know, the the main reason that we we wanted to get her into motorcycling was for number one, the enjoyment. Number two, if she was going to be competitive, she can see that the work you put into racing or or working a as a bricklayer or laying, laying carpet or whatever, if you put the same work ethic into, into the, you know, like she's doing with dirt bikes, if she puts that same work ethic into, you know, doing whatever, she'll be successful. Cause I know for me, I mean, I, 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 I feel that the, you know, racing at that, at that level is just a real short lived, you know, you can have a lot of fun and you, you go a lot of great places and, and, you know, the, a lot of great experiences, but, so it's short lived. And, and I, I know for me, it was always about fun. That's why I still ride today. It wasn't about ever about a job. It was always, you know, family, me and my dad and my uncle. And, you know, we all rode together and, you know, I hope that she, I see, I see a lot of professional riders once they're done riding, they don't, that's it, right. They don't ever, they don't ride no more. They don't, they don't have any, any thought to go riding where, you know, for me, it's like, you know, that was the funnest time because I'm not doing it for a living. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I, I have that same epiphany. I, I don't know how you could ever feel that way. I know I gave up bikes for when my first son was born, and I gave up bikes for a short period of time, and my wife just finally got so fed up with me. She said, go buy a motorcycle. I can't stand to be around you. So <laughs> just, I, could, I can't imagine ever having that feeling. I mean, you came up through a generation uh, – I wouldn't say between generations because there were a lot of fast guys before you. You raced against a lot of fast guys and there were obviously a lot of fast guys after you. I mean, you followed like the Fred Andrews and Steve Hatches and even, I think even Mike Kodowski that uh, did some uh, yep. TNCC. And then you came along. Oh, yeah. And then you were racing against some fast guys for sure. Um, and then the next generation was the Strangs and Thad Duvall's and Caleb Russell's that came along. I mean – it's uh, when you think about your legacy. Well, how do you, how how do you frame that in your mind? How do you look back at it as far as uh, where you rose to the sport in the sport and uh, where you stand? I feel my you know my career was uh, was good. I feel that it was you know I had a lot of injuries and and missed a lot of opportunities. I feel because of the injuries, but it it was the funnest time of my life. And uh, you know I met some of the greatest 
you know, greatest people, you know, I still live, you know, a mile from Randy Hawkins, you know, we're still friends, you know, what it's uh, made some, some of the, you know, lifelong friends that I've ever had. And, you know, was able to, uh, you know, as far as, you know, I, I always believed that when I was racing, everything that, that I did was, uh, you know, it was, it was never something I ever expected I would ever do. Like when I left Washington in 99 and, and, uh, you know, got in my van and drove across the U S and stayed, lived in Pennsylvania. I figured I'd do it for a year, go home, do the normal job thing. And, and that's, that's really what I had planned on doing. I just wanted to give it a try. And, and then it kind of turned into, uh, you know, what it, what it did. I mean, it, it's some stuff that I never would have ever imagined, you know, it, and that's, that for me is pretty special to, uh, you know, have a dream as a kid and then ha- have a dream come true that you'd never, you know, I, I never would have, I was never poor. Even when I grew up in Washington, like as a local A and pro rider, I wasn't poised as being the next, the next thing, you know, I was always kind of average. And when I moved, that was probably the best thing I ever did because I didn't have anything but a motorcycle. So the focus and drive, you know, to do it was, uh, was a lot higher than, you know, being at home and doing local races and, I guess the, 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 the work was, a, was, 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 uh, was worth it because you knew what you could get because of the work. Absolutely. And paid off. It did. And, uh, we're grateful to have you on the show and, uh, we are unfortunately up against the clock. So at this point, uh, are there, uh, anybody that you want to, uh, give a shout out to and also where's the best place to reach you, be it on the web or social media? Yep, Reigns Racing uh, is my website, reignsracing.com. Reigns Riding You is all my social handles. You know, I like to thank my family. They've been a big part, you know, of, of my life and, and sport and career. You know, Yamaha, Fly Racing, Dunlop Tires, Scott, Factory Connection, IMS, HPD Moto Graphics. have just been a great, uh, great career. And, and I'm having fun racing with my daughter now. And, uh, you know, hopefully she can... Uh, she can uh, do whatever she puts sets out to do as well. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing it. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure she's well coached and well trained and nothing but great success. We look forward to it. Thanks for coming on the show, Jason. All right, PJ and Dave. Thank you. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is that first GNCC race began in 1975 and was called the Blackwater 100. Why was it given that name? And the answer is the name Blackwater originated from the nearby Blackwater Falls and the Blackwater River when the event was held, while 100 is for the number of miles in the race. So that uh, was really the birthplace of GNCC racing back in 1975. It did nothing but grow from there. That event was renowned for destroying riders and destroying vehicles, motorcycles and later ATVs also. And used to be said that somebody who actually survived one lap around the Blackwater 100 was uh, was hardcore and uh, they pulled off a major, major feat in their, uh, in their riding career. And a lot of the racers that won that event, I think completed probably four laps around the course, which is simply amazing when you think about it. And uh, it was just, Nothing but mud bogs and, and swamps and the famous Highway 93 uh, crossing where uh, the mud fleas would gather around, as they were called. They were fans of the event that would just stand around the course where there was a big water hole and they would help the riders up the ridge onto the highway and across to the uh, rest of the course. 
Where is Blackwater Falls? What state is that in? That is in West Virginia, which uh, actually is not far from where uh, the founder of the event, who is Davey Coombs, Dave Coombs Sr., I should say, not Davey Coombs, but uh, Davey Coombs' father, who uh, started that event, went to the uh, mayor of Blackwater and, and uh, negotiated the, uh, the event to have it there. And they did it for quite a long time before it finally ended. Thank you again to Jason Rains for joining us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our all-new blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave. And I'm PJ. See you next week. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.